Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Howard Behar. He is a renowned business leader, author, speaker, and mentor, and the former president of Starbucks Coffee Company North America and Starbucks Coffee International. He's also the author of several books. Uh, it's not about the coffee and the one we're going to talk about uh, primarily today, The Magic Cup, a business parable about a leader a team, and the power of putting people and values first. So, Howard, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, in the very, very early days of Starbucks, there was another Howard. Uh, did that get confusing? Yeah, it got confusing. There were actually three Howards oh, three at, at one time. <laughs> but there was another guy named Orrin Smith, and uh, they used to call it, it was Howard, Howard, and Orrin. We had the responsibility for the company. They called us H2O. <laughs> I love it. Well, the, the, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, obviously, everybody knows Starbucks today as this huge conglomerate, but uh, you actually started there in the very early days. And you know, wh- what was it like? I- I'm sure it's kind of hard to go back and say, well, it was like this and now it's like this. But, but, but what was it like essentially working for a small business that then grew to be this not-so-small business? Well, in the early days, it was like every small business. We were struggling to make money and struggling to kind of get it going. You know, it, uh, it was the typically early-stage companies. As a matter of yeah. fact, when I got there, um, we were losing money significantly in Chicago. And uh, I, moved, I decided to move to Chicago for three months to figure out what was wrong. And I came back from that experience saying we just need to grow faster, and that's what we started to do. And so all of a sudden it went from, you know, we, when I got there, there were 28 stores, and, and a year later we had 70-some. Wow. So when you go in today, when you go into, you're out traveling and, and maybe there's not a Starbucks on that corner, and <laughs> you go into a local coffee shop and it's that one person or, or one store shop, I mean, do you get a sense of, hey, this is what Starbucks used to be like? Yeah, absolutely. It's just the way it was. It was just a very small company, uh, and we were just trying to figure it all out. We didn't. We didn't. We knew nothing. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> well, you so, figured, figured a few things out. Yeah. So, um, in the book, we meet uh, Vince Steadfast, the newly named CEO of an imaginary manufacturer, Verity Glassworks. And I know, uh, just from my own writing, I, I'm not very creative. And I actually, when I write about stuff, a lot of times I'm just sharing my experience. How 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 much of Vince's experience is kind of your journey? Well, it was actually um, it it was cumulative of not only my journey but uh, other people's journeys as well. So it was it was a set of experiences that that I'd either observed or been a part of. But my character was really Nora Northstar, who was Vince's boss, and she was the one that encouraged Vince to take on this new challenge and and didn't try to hold on to him but wanted him to succeed. And so, but yeah, no question. Vince's journey. I was part of layoffs my early early years. I didn't even know what the word layoff me- meant. And I watched uh, I watched how what good leadership was, and I also got to see what bad leadership was. And so, you know, Vince experienced it all. So the book is uh, wrapped pretty tightly around eleven virtues, and I'm not going to recite all of those. Um, you know, if you're listening, buy the book, and then you'll get to <laughs> see all the yeah. the lessons. But I do want to touch on a couple. Uh, uh, of them, one of the things that I think I think a lot of people get this idea of you know putting people first and values first, and then crisis happens, and you need to make money, and uh, it seems like it's hard to hold on to those initial thoughts, isn't it? 
Well, yeah, it, it is if you think that it, they're opposites of each other. Right. I, I never, in my whole life, I've never found that making money was the opposite of living a life of values, right? right. You, you, you can be, you can put people first and still make money. They're, they're not opposites of each other. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. Yeah. They go together. If you take care of your people, your people will take care of you and the business yeah. and your customers. No, I, I get that, and I wasn't implying that because uh, I, I, I completely agree with that. But well, what I was saying is sometimes the chaos, say, of a startup uh, has you doing things or making decisions without maybe kind of holding on to those virtues. You take a client that maybe isn't a good fit because you've got to pay the bills or you know things of that nature. I mean, that's where I think oh. sometimes people lose course. Sure. I mean, you have you have what happens is some of the things that you we see as as virtues are what I call rules that we make up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I'll give you an example. So in the early years, we had these huge conflict about whether we should sell co our coffee to Costco or not. Mm. Right. And there was, you know, half the team said, oh, we, we should never sell our coffee to Costco. We should only sell our coffee in the stores. And the other half of the team said, oh, we should. And it it became this argument as if it was a, you know, that it was a value. It wasn't a value. It, that was a marketing merchandising decision. But but the conflict all kind of reared its head is, well, people that didn't want to do it said, well, you have no values. Yeah. But that really wasn't the issue. And we had the same thing when we decided to sell our coffee in United Airlines. I mean, huge conflict. And over that, but they really weren't values questions or virtues questions. They were really merchandising marketing questions. Now, you know, they both turned out to be the right thing to do, you know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, you know, you have to be careful about sometimes those things because there are lots of things that we said we would never do. Right. <laughs> I mean, really, it was amazing. Yeah. yeah. And we ended up doing almost all of them. Yeah, it's interesting. I bet you a lot of companies uh, that are four or five people sitting around a table that are all drinking the Kool-Aid, uh, so to speak, uh, or, or let's let's say the espresso in this case, um, are, are you know that's kind of like the founding brand and culture of the business. And as the business grows, it ultimately outgrows that initial culture, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, virtue like caring, you know, that that doesn't cost you any money. Yep. It, it it's you can take care of your people without spending a dime. People don't expect things that you don't have, but what they do expect is to be treated honestly. They expect to be a given trust, and uh, so it's you know it it's not it doesn't cost money to live those things. Did you have to? Um, my, my experience with a lot of uh, especially founders of companies are great visionaries. They're not the greatest at leadership. Um, and, and in fact, they're not, they're just not good people. Yeah. With people in some cases. In fact, they'll talk about that being their biggest challenge. Did you have to feel, did, did you have to learn uh, to, to lead in the way that you describe in the book? Or is that something you were brought on really because of that skill? Well, when, yeah, I had that when I came to Starbucks. I had gone through all of that stuff. I was 44 years old. Right. By the time I got there, I had already. Uh, said, this is who I am, this is the kind of company I want to lead, and I kind of brought that to Starbucks. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was kind of a battle royal because it was really a coffee company when I right. got there. Yeah. And I said, and I coined a little term, I said, we're not in the coffee business serving people, we're in the people business serving coffee. And it sounds like a little play on words, but it became the battle cry. Yeah. 
and, and frankly, I think it probably uh, represents the brand today. Yeah, yeah, I do. I agree that it does. And, you know, there are no perfect organizations, just like no perfect people, no perfect families. And so we made lots of mistakes and continue to, they'll continue to make mistakes and, and to screw things up, you know, with people. But, but as long as you have the ability to evaluate where you are, you know, then you can always come back to that place that's, that you're grounding. It's a place that, that you really exist with your soul. One of the things I think, particularly, again, you know, a lot of my listeners and folks that I've worked with are small business owners. I think one of the things they struggle with from a leadership standpoint is that they feel like they're always on watch, that they are, you know, everybody's watching them. And if, you know, it's not do as I say, (laughs) it's do as I do. And I think that a lot of times that becomes a challenge, I think, for a lot of small business owners or, or leaders is that, you know, they feel like. Uh, the, the company sort of goes as they go. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I hear that. I've seen it all the time. And you hear, well, nobody cares like I care, right? right? That's what they're saying. And, and, it, and there may be nobody that knows the business like they know it. That's possible. Not mm-hmm. probable, yeah. but possible. But the idea that nobody cares but they, them, that's just not true. If that's what you have going in your company, then there's something wrong in your leadership style. Right. Right. Because if if you are able to to create a, a pathway for people to understand the greater purpose of the organization and what role that those people play in the organization, they will care as much as you do. You know, yep. they will give it their all. This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Alignable, the network exclusively for business owners to network with each other. Connect and meet with business owners nearby in your community. Generate referrals, do co-promotions, and create awareness for your business. Engage in discussions, get answers to questions, and share your insights. And best of all, you can sign up today at Alignable.com because it is free. So, so one of the virtues that uh, that comes out uh, early in the book is one of my favorites, actually, curiosity. Um, I I've, I've often tell people that that's kind of my superpower, if there is such a thing. Yeah, but it too. also, but it also, occasionally rears its ugly head in loss of focus. <laughs> um, where's, yeah, sure. where's kind of the balance of of chasing innovation and new ideas um, and vision, and not staying focused on priorities. Yeah, I mean, that, that is so easy for it to happen. And that happens simply because, usually because you don't have a plan. Yeah. It usually happens because the, the last person that came into your office is the last person you listen to. Right. And that's the one that says, hey, you got to do X, and you start running around saying, hey, let's do X. Yeah. Instead of saying, wait a minute, how does that fit with my overall plan of what I'm trying to do? You could take X and put it on a little five by car, five, three by five card and put it on your wall. Say, I'm going to look at that later. But right now, I'm doing A, B, and C. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a great lesson, too, is, is A, B, and C is about all you can get done. And I think the yeah. real challenge a lot of times is we want to do the whole alphabet. Yeah. We want to do it. And we think, well, if we just add more, it'll be better. That's right. You know, and it's just not true. Now, having said that, there are sometimes you have to take risks with things that you're doing. The, you know, Frappuccino came from that risk. Mm. Came from a, a woman that was our, uh, one of our district managers in Southern California, and she saw the idea at a competitor store and said, "We got to have something like that." And she kept pushing it. But there was a, again another battle inside. Uh, even Howard Schultz hated it, huh. and I kept pushing it and saying, "We got to try it at least." 
it turned out to be 20% of our sales at one time. So sometimes you have to step up to those risks. You just can't, I I don't ever plead for anarchy, right? I want organization, you know, to what we're going to do. And I want a plan, but we can, within that plan, we, there always has got to be room for trying some things. So in your experience, are are there some universal things that team members want most from their leaders? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they want, they want to be treated with respect and dignity, number one. They want to be treated like they're an actual human being. Uh, they want to be trusted. They want you to give them trust before they give you trust. They want you to care about them as, as if they're more than just a dollar, you know, with a dollar sign on their forehead. You know, they want to get, be given responsibility and accountability. And they want to know that, you know, that they're in charge of their own destiny. And, you know, it's a whole bunch of things. It's it's exactly the same thing that your significant other wants or your children want, except it's in a business environment. But it's exactly the same stuff. They want to be listened to. They don't want to be talked at. You mentioned uh, you don't advocate for anarchy, but uh, certainly um, I see in this book and I see it happening every day, the kind of hierarchical structure of a business um, seems to be evaporating. Millennials today you know, just crave collaboration and they want constant yeah. feedback. And I, I think to some degree, I, I hear business owners complain about that. I think to some degree that should be telling us something, shouldn't it? Yeah, but it should be telling us, telling us that business owners are out of sync. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, look, that's not new. We talk about it in terms of millennials. Yeah. All those things were true. They just weren't the norm. Yeah. Right, it, it, it wasn't politically correct to ask for it. <laughs> yeah, but the, but but yeah. really healthy companies, yeah. you know, have always done that. Yeah, absolutely. And and now it's just become the norm, and you see it in technology because these kids are smart, you know, they're driven, uh, you know, and they they want that, and so you know you can't really operate a company today without it. So one of the virtues is trust, of course, and I, you know, I, I don't think you'd read any book on leadership that wouldn't suggest that that is a, an extremely important part. In fact, I think even you know today in marketing, it's sort of the threshold. Uh, if, if there's a lack of trust uh, with your client right. or your market, uh, you're, you're you're in serious trouble. But you know, how does a leader build a culture around trust, not just in keeping their word, but extending that trust? Well, you know, it starts with is keeping your word or letting them know why you have it. Yeah. But you know, you know, you there's this old deal. Well, I'll trust trust people when they've earned my trust. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite of that. You give trust until they haven't earned your trust. You know, anybody you hire right out of the gate, you should trust from the beginning. That doesn't mean you don't inspect what you expect. I'm not naive you know you ought to be out there coaching and working with your team all that but but trust is really important it's it's not only important with the people that are working in your organization and serving the customers but it like you said it's it's important to the customers they need to trust you mm-hmm. and it, and you need to trust them it's look what makes a family work i'll have to bring it right back what's the one and only thing that makes a family work it's trust. Yep. Without trust in a marriage, does a marriage work? <laughs> a, it doesn't. A, in, in very dysfunctional ways, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, you know, and yeah, dysfunctional ways. So, 
you, you got to have trust in a marriage. And the way you create trust is through good communication. Mm-hmm. Always communicating. You know, it's that old thing. That's why performance reviews are kind of going wayside by the wayside. Right? It's yeah. Because what good communication in a marriage is feedback all the time. Yeah. And that creates trust. Because they know where you are and you know where they are. And that's the same in a company. You're not waiting till your quarterly performance review or annual performance review to tell people where they are. You're talking with them all the time and you're coaching all the time. I was just reading this morning about GE. GE of all companies, Jack Welch, who had the rating system, you know, and let go of the bottom 5 or 10% every year, right? That didn't ever build trust. <laughs> ever. Yeah. You know? You, you yeah. know, I think in a lot of organizations, though, what's interesting is uh, I think trust starts with that leader trusting themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, trust I, I think that's the part that sometimes is missing. I mean, there's a lot of infighting and things that happen in companies. A, a lot of times um, it, it's actually created by sort of a lack of trust uh, on the part of leadership. Exactly. So uh, obviously this book talks a lot about, and your teaching uh, has talked a lot about uh, defining values in, inside of organizations, and there are countless books and seminars and experts on, on doing that. Um, is there actually a good way to do that? Yeah, there's a great way to do it, is that you do it with your people. Yeah. You don't do it separate from your people. You, you start the conversations of what, what kind of organization do we want to be? What, what matters to us? How, how will we decide how we make decisions in this company? What happens when we have a conflict in front of us that might be a values conflict, like uh, we're going to report numbers. Maybe we're, uh, we have investors and maybe our numbers aren't so good this quarter. Uh, and there's pressure to report good numbers, but, but we have to kind of you know, cheat a little bit. What will we do? You know, and it's a whole series of questions that you ask yourself. Who am I? What do I stand for? Uh, how do I want to be, uh, what do I want to be recognized for? Uh, how do I want to live my life? And that, that turns out to be values. So I have eight core values that I live by. And my first one is honesty. Well, all of us would probably, if I asked you or anybody that you know or I know, said, are you honest? Everybody would say, of course, I'm honest. But when you really get down to it, everybody would would define honesty in a little different way. So honesty is just a word. It's the actions behind that word that determine what your values really are, not what the word is. And I think so you have to yeah, define it. Yeah, and I think they're great. Um, you started to go down that path. I mean, define actual stories about you know yeah. a, a time in which honesty was practiced um, yeah. in in this organization. I think that's I've seen companies do that, and I I think those can those can actually be much more tangible than a word itself. Yeah, and when wasn't it practiced? Right, right, right. And and be, and acknowledge that because we all screw up, you know. Right, right. So. And it's being able to acknowledge that. And then, then you start to document that stuff. You write it down. The stories get written down in short form. And, you know, with a few sentences or a paragraph. And that starts to define who you are. So I want to end uh, today's interview just uh, talking about the origin of, of the cup, which is uh, the big prop, <laughs> really, in, yeah, in, sure. uh, in the book. Um, what, what's the origin of the cup for you? And, and should we, you know, how do we find our cup? Well, 
you know, I, I always, even before the coffee business, I had this analogy that I would use for myself is that I always wanted to, I always wanted to live my life with a full cup. Mm-hmm. And the cup really represents life. It represents, see, because in the cup knows, you're, you know, as a human being, you know what you're putting into your life or into your cup. If you put honesty and caring and kindness and sharing into your cup, your cup not only grows in size, but it fills up, yeah. right? And, and then, you know, no matter how good you are, your cup gets bigger and bigger and more goes into it. It's the way it is. It's, so, it's the law of life. If you put greed and blind ambition in your cup, what happens is your cup shrinks and it empties out. So your life gets smaller. You can put all the material things you want into your cup. It will take every material thing you ever want to put in as long as they're not ill-gotten. But, you know, there's only so much room for material things. The more you put in, the smaller each one becomes. It's the guy that goes out and decides he likes watches. So he buys the first watch, and he loves that watch. And then he's in a jewelry store, and he sees another watch, and he buys that one. Before you know it, he's got ten watches, and they're all sitting in this little case. And he looks at them, and he decides which one he wants to wear that day. Well, each one has taken up a smaller place in his life. And, and after a while, you realize it isn't the watches. Because you, you don't need all those watches to tell time. <laughs> Absolutely. And you don't need all those watches to fill your life, to fill your cup. Well, let's at least hope we're uh, we're, we're filling it to uh, to a venti or something of that nature. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Uh, speaking with Howard Bayer, he is the author of The Magic Cup. And uh, Howard, uh, where, where, where can people find out more about, I know obviously the book's available everywhere, but uh, where can yeah. they find out more about you and, and your work? My, uh, you know, I have a website, Howard Bihar, www.howardbihar.com, but you can reach me at hb at howardbihar.com if you want to write me or anything. And I'm always, I will, I talk to everybody. So I have one of the, that's the only rule I have in my life that if somebody reaches out, I will reach back. Awesome. And we'll put those links in the show notes uh, as well. So Howard, thanks so much for uh, joining us and uh, really enjoyed uh, getting into the Magic Cup. Thanks for having me.